The House of Roll journeys far and wide to bring you exceptional quality kitchen and bath fixtures. In all of this, you'll see the details of your own story. The story of a life well-crafted. Welcome to the House of Roll. The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my Populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and postpartisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. Welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. On what looks to be a beautiful but cooler late summer Sunday. This first Sunday after Labor Day, the nation's capital begins to shake off the summer doldrums and gears up to do big things. I hear you laughing, but you know, I am the perennial optimist, am I not? And... This week, we're going to talk about common sense. We're going to give you some in order to inoculate you against the shrill voices of politicians who will all be rushing to the microphones this week and their media acolytes of all political persuasions. As a businesswoman, I focus on the numbers. The numbers tell me what's out of the norm, what needs immediate attention, and how to prioritize necessary changes. And in the numbers this week, there are now three, three would-be contenders against President Trump for the Republican presidential nomination in 2020. Mark Sanford announced this morning that he will throw his hat in the ring, which now explains why South Carolina canceled its GOP presidential primary on Friday. What? What? Can they do that? Yes. The state party said, no, we're not having a primary. Done. Yes. There is nothing legal and lawful about how uh, candidates are selected by parties. All used to happen behind closed doors in the smoke-filled rooms. And I and I kind of wonder if that wasn't a better approach. Um but no, as the state parties have complete control. Um, that's what makes it difficult for third parties like the Alliance Party to get on the ballot in 50 states. So, but I think Mark Sanford's entry into the race is a really good thing. I think his motives are correct. He wants to bring up the subject of debt and deficit and spending that nobody, absolutely nobody in this field today, none of the 20-odd Democrats and certainly not President Trump or Vice President Pence have raised, and, and nor, nor any of the leadership in Congress. And 
you know, the more debt we have, the more interest we have to pay, the less discretionary that spending there is, the weaker we become militarily. It's a very important issue. And so if he does nothing else but raise that concern and help to educate the American voter about the risks of debt, um, then I think it's a worthwhile effort. So um, now there are three. But that's not the biggest three in the news this week. The focus that we're going to have this morning is on $3.6 billion that President Trump has unilaterally taken from the Pentagon budget for his mythical, magical wall on the southern border. And that helps to explain, in addition to some other issues, why 63% of those polled by Marquette University disapprove of President Trump's handling of the job of being president of the United States of America. And that 63% disapproval came before Sharpiegate. And last but not least, 130,000 jobs were created in August, and that's half the number that experts anticipated. But it is not a reason for any sense of panic about the overall strength of the American economy. So let's take a look at what President Trump and with you know, obviously some help from the Pentagon, although there are people who said, where were the Pentagon lawyers while he was doing this? Uh, let's take a look at what happened with that $3.6 billion that got moved this week uh, from Pentagon spending to the mythical, magical Southern Wall. That $3.6 billion in congressionally approved Pentagon spending was for construction projects. For example, at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, the command facilities were damaged in last year's devastating hurricanes, and they've yet to be repaired. They've got leaking roofs, air conditioning that doesn't work in the summer in North Carolina. That would be, you know, that's hazardous duty. Fort Lejeune will also lose a long-planned ambulatory surgical facility upgrade. That's a, a, a surgical unit that serves the walking wounded from America's unending wars, as well as their families. In Fort Campbell, Kentucky, they are not going to get a middle school that they've been waiting for for five years. As one of the teachers interviewed in the aftermath of the announcement pointed out, most of these middle schoolers, these are sixth to eighth graders, have never known peace in their lives. They have never known a world in which they don't have to worry about mom or pop or both parents being killed in service to the nation. But we don't think, the president doesn't think, that they need a school that has heat and air conditioning and enough classrooms to accommodate the enrollment, that slats in the middle of the southern border desert are more important. Upgrades to U.S. and NATO facilities in, in Poland, Estonia, and other European installations. 
that were established to deter further Russian aggression in their near neighbor space. In other words, to stop the Russians from further encroachment in Ukraine, in Georgia, where they're massed on the border as we speak, in Estonia, which is always on its guard, and in Finland. All these projects are long planned, strategic in nature, Each has been studied and appropriated by Congress, and they're being stripped. They're being canceled for the magical, mythical southern border wall that's likely never to be built. There are actually at this moment 600 plus miles of border fencing in along the southern border built during the Bush and Obama administrations. At this moment, as I speak, during the Trump administration in the last two and a half years, we have refurbished 64 miles of that existing 600, but we've never built an additional mile of wall. But $3.6 billion in lawfully appropriated funds are being sucked out of the Pentagon for the mythical, magical Southern Wall. And at this moment, as Fort Campbell is losing necessary facilities so that service members worry less about their families when they're in the war theater, at that very moment, does Kentucky's senior senator, who has long claimed personal credit for those upgrades at Fort Campbell, because those upgrades, those construction projects, add to the local economy of the communities in which they're built. Well, what does Senator McConnell intend to do about what the president has done? That silence of mine was meaningful because that's what we've heard from President, from um, Majority Leader McConnell, the senior senator from Kentucky. And we'll be back in just a moment to talk about what Congress must do as it returns to Washington this week. You're listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org, reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back with President Trump's $3.6 billion usurpation of congressional authority over the Pentagon budget for his mythical, magical Southern Wall. So, as Congress returns to its session this week, you will hear again the whirling sound, the sound of the founding fathers not just turning, but spinning in their graves at Congress's failure. Ooh. Yes. At Congress, that's, that's your whirling, whirling sound effect. That's my whirling sound effect <laughs> for Congress's failure. I'm serious. I'm serious. It, 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 you'd need a much higher pitch for how fast Alexander Hamilton and James Madison are whirling in their graves and an earthquake for George Washington because at, 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 the, at their amazement 
at Congress's failure to even murmur in the face of the president's usurpation of the constitutional usurpation of the constitutional powers of Congress. The question is, what are you going to do, Leader Pelosi and Senator McConnell, Minority Leader McCarthy and Senator Schumer? What are you going to do about the president's completely unconstitutional grab of the power of the purse? What are you going to do? Article 1 of the United States Constitution is very clear on this subject. Article 1, Section 8 says, The Congress shall have power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises, to pay the debts, and to provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States. It goes on to say, And I'm quoting from the Constitution itself. No money shall be drawn from the Treasury, but in consequence of appropriations made by law. Let me repeat that. No money shall be drawn from the Treasury, but in consequence of appropriations made by law. If the president is allowed using a flimsy state of emergency statement signed with his Sharpie, if he's allowed to rob the U.S. Treasury thus, what is there to prevent a future president from using that same precedent to largely defund the U.S. military or, in fact, to use the military to impose martial law in the name of climate change? Tom Steyer has already promised to do exactly that or to confiscate all privately owned guns, as Kamala Harris has also promised, or to eliminate the Border Patrol and ICE, as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has proposed her presidential partner Bernie Sanders should do. A crisis is, as Barack Obama mused, a terrible thing to waste. I thought that was... um... The, the his chief of staff. I think you're probably right, but Obama repeated it. Rahm Emanuel. Right. Rahm Emanuel is the one who actually said that. You're absolutely right. I'm wrong. But it doesn't matter. Barack was nodding yes. He used that emergent. He used that, that crisis, and he used it to great effect. Don't you think the Republicans would lose their minds if Obama had... Uh, taken away funding from the military for one of his pet projects? They did on a regular basis, which is why the McCain um, bill, uh, defense bill, authorization bill was so important. And every penny, every single solitary penny that is being taken from the military budget is in that McCain defense authorization bill that was a five-year forward-looking strategic document, and it is signed into law by none other than Donald Trump. This is lawfully appropriated money for these specific purposes. The subcommittee on military um, spending spent years researching each of these proposals honing them, working with the military to get the funding right and the timing of that funding right. This is, this is, this is a plain and simple usurpation of the constitutional authority 
to use money but in consequence of appropriations made by law. And this Constitution and the way we apply it is based on precedent. So the precedent of creating an emergency and then overruling the congressional appropriation and the power of the purse has long-term consequences. It's not about the 2020 senatorial primary. It's about the fundamental separation of power between Congress, who gets the revenue and determines how it's going to be spent in the best interests of the American people, and the executive whose job it is to administer congressional appropriations that have been signed into law. So in order, I mean, how do you stop this? Now that this has started, how do you stop this? Does it mean that you're going to that that Congress will have to go directly to the Supreme Court and say, you know, we we need you to declare this unconstitutional? Because what are you going to do? You can't pass a law to undo an unlawful act against the Constitution. Yeah, you can. They did that with Obamacare. They they the the Republicans didn't they repeal the uh no the the mandate no i thought they 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 appealed the, re- repealed the mandate they they repealed the fine they took away the tax piece of it they repealed the fine they've never repealed any uh part of obamacare they tried but they've never done it and, so you're still required. Way, so wait, so you're still required way, re- required to to have insurance, but you're not going to get penalized for it if yeah, you don't. That's it. Yeah, that makes no sense. Well, because there's no penalty, there's no mandate. But yeah, that's how so they did it. So therefore, they but repealed they, the mandate. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. How did they do it? They passed a law. They passed a bill. Both houses passed a bill, and it was signed in, as part of the tax reform bill by the president. It's a law. You can make a lawful change. Mm -hmm. If the president wanted to comply with the Constitution, he would have gone back to Congress and said, here, I want these $3.6 billion right now for my wall, my magical mythical wall. Okay. Um, And and I need you to to take that money and reauthorize it. You need to eliminate the authorization Um, for this spending from the military defense bill and give me this money. Congress has already said no. He asked for $3.6 billion or $4 billion to build the wall, and he asked Congress to appropriate that money, and Congress said no. And then we had a government shutdown, and Congress still said no. Because the, ball, the, the wall is not the right answer. We have walls where they effectively do their job, which is to slow down the migrants so that the Border Patrol can get there in time before they disappear into the community. Okay? The, there are better, more modern, more sophisticated, and less expensive ways to defend the border than the, myth, you know, the mythical, magical wall. wall. But the wall is at this point, it's just a um, it, it's a metaphor 
for the larger problem. I mean, Congress has already deemed this unlawful. So there's a big fundamental question for the republic to face and face now before the 2020 general election. And we're going to put that question to you, the listener, in just a moment after our quick commercial break. Listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back. And we really need this is a really important conversation. I know it's not probably the sexiest thing on radio. But it's a really important conversation because now the president has clearly violated the written as well as the spiritual language of the U.S. Constitution. And if you think that Tom Steyer or Elizabeth Warren with her um, redistribution um, of income theories and her breakup um, the Amazon, Facebook, et cetera, uh, promises would not use these emergency powers now that we've determined that the president doesn't have to follow a lawful signed law passed by Congress. Well, if you're thinking back to, let's say, Obamacare, we really didn't like Obamacare. And you're thinking, oh, if we just tried any of those things, if Steyer tried to, you know, defund the military or or um, uh, declare martial law in order to implement his climate change policy, or uh, if you think um, if that Kamala Harris would uh, not stop to use her emergency powers to confiscate guns, if you're thinking, oh, well, if they tried that, well, we'll just vote them out like we did to Obama in 2010 and 2014. Well, I think you need to stop and think again because Obamacare was a law passed. It was signed. It exists today despite all those Republican promises to repeal it, because they've never been able to get the votes together to repeal it. It's a law. And the way to change it is to pass another law that says that law is no longer applicable. And that same process, it needs to become a bill. It needs to be passed in both houses and signed by the president. And we all know that in the case of Obamacare, since 2010, the beginning of 2011, Republicans have tried to repeal it, and they've failed, okay, because it's a law, and we've abided by that law. But if President Trump succeeds in setting a precedent that he can declare a national emergency out of thin air on any grounds because Congress won't give him what he wants, and then use that duly, that, that emergency power to override laws— laws of this nation, and appropriations are laws. They are duly passed by both houses of Congress and signed by the, the, the current president of the United States in this particular case, could be by a previous president in some other instance. 
But if that is allowed to stand, then this 250-year-old experiment in representative democracy is over. It's done because this 250-year-old experiment in representative democracy depends entirely on the people of this country living within the duly approved laws written and voted on by their elected representatives. That was a good run, though. 250 years. It's- Makes us a very, very young in the in the the long term. Think of China, 5,000 years of imperial rule, and they're pretty close to being back at that. With Emperor Xi? With Emperor Xi. Emperor for life. And his family lining up to succeed him. I bet Trump would just love to be called Emperor. I suspect he would. Emperor Trump. We should start start calling him that. Emperor Trump. Well, you know, you have to remember back a couple of years when we started doing these little Sunday gigs together. When we used to refer to him as the emperor with no clothes, the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale. I don't. Tale. I that, see. You just gave me an image that I don't. I can't unsee now. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have your your old uh, founding fathers here. Ah. And yeah. that was the right moment because while you can't get that image out of your out of your mind. I want to remind you that the House of Representatives is not going to stand by idly. They're planning to hold 60 hearings on the president's various misdeeds. And they're going to start with his pre-presidential dalliances with porn stars. While the very lawful basis of the republic is being challenged. When, since when is it unconstitutional to run around with porn stars? Um, only if you pay them off um, so that they will not go public with it before an election and your personal lawyer goes to jail for that. It's a violation of campaign finance law. And the president's an unindicted co-conspirator. But, you know, I, I point that out only because in in just to pose in comparison to the theft of Pentagon past lawful appropriations to build the mythical magical wall that nobody else wants or believes needs or will be effective, they're going to worry about porn stars. Because remember, Congress did not deem that wall unlawful. They didn't pass an appropriation to fund it. They defeated an attempt to appropriate the, that, those funds. If the president and his cabinet do not have to respect one law, that is, of the, the rules around appropriation of Pentagon funds that he signed, why would we believe that they would follow any other law? Say, for example, the Electoral College. Or what future president would feel similarly inclined to rely on that precedent, as we've already mentioned. And that's probably the only question that Congress should grapple with this September, because none of the others really matters before Congress really, say, for example, gun control, really matter. 
if the consequence is that a law passed by the both houses and then signed by the president lacks the force of law, can be mythically undone by the shape of the Sharpie. Have I scared you enough? Because I'm scared, and we all know I do not scare easy. I'm not scared. What else do you have? Have you seen the polls? No. Even if you're not a Democrat, the Democratic nomination for president in 2020 matters to you and to your children. Did you catch a couple moments of the CNN climate change debate? I did not. Well, what you missed was fewer airplanes, no straws, less beef, have fewer children, etc. So if you want one of those people who thinks that they should be legislating things like whether you have straws, um, if you want one of those people that is currently on the debate stage this week, um, almost without exception, if you want those people to have the imperial precedent the president laid down this week, think about that. Think about the possibility of Elizabeth Warren with the precedent that she doesn't have to follow appropriated laws governing appropriations made by Congress. Just think about that. Folks, it's time to act. It's time to call your elected representatives, not once, but keep calling, because this usurpation of congressional power cannot stand. Because the republic cannot stand if the president doesn't have to abide by the written word of the United States Constitution. In addition to that call, you need to go on their sites and send them comments. You need to contribute a couple of bucks to a campaign against them if they don't listen. you got to write letters to the editor if you still subscribe to a newspaper. you got to be on social media. You got to make noise because your children's future in this republic depends on this. Because the first time a president gets away with ignoring the precedent, ignoring the written word of the United States Constitution, you start down a slippery slope to when none of those words in the Constitution anymore make a difference. Congress has, over the past few years, ceded way too much power to an imperial presidency, and it's time it stops. And we'll be back in just a moment with a couple of thoughts about Hurricane Dorian and the president. Listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And while the president was busy ignoring the Article 1, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution, Hurricane Dor- Dorian moved from being a tropical storm into a monster storm. The first warnings of a possibility of a punishing strike on Bermuda and Florida came 10 days ago. And 
overnight last night, Halifax, Nova Scotia, got hit with a hammer. And the storm is still moving this morning. And you know what? Nova Scotia and hurricane are not synonyms. Doesn't happen there very often. But um, there was some pretty significant damage overnight. While Florida and most of Georgia and the Carolinas were spared a direct hit, Bermuda experienced a hurricane more violent than anything in recorded history. And you and I, we should all be proud, proud and grateful, that the U.S. Coast Guard, followed shortly by the United States Air Force, were the first on the ground with helicopters to begin relief efforts in Bermuda. The president was making a global incident out of an innocent mistake at the moment that the men and women of the United States Coast Guard were battling what were still um, tropical storm winds to start to bring water and um, medical supplies and begin to evacuate the most seriously injured from Freeport and the neighboring islands. Um, These guys risked their lives to keep us safe. And while they were doing that, the president was busy making a global incident out of what was an innocent mistake. Would anybody have even noticed his initial Alabama in the cone of uncertainty remark this past Sunday if he had not turned it into a colossal refusal to acknowledge an obvious misunderstanding of, of something that somebody said among a whole lot of other, you know, it's possible, it's remote, but it's possible that he heard in a briefing. And the operative word here is heard in a briefing because, you know, the president does not read. And maybe this whole Sharpie Gate thing wouldn't have happened if he'd read the briefing materials. But in any case, after a week, a week of headlines, the Washington Post has determined through its multiple sources, it's a well-sourced determination, they say, that the Sharpie cone of uncertainty is the handiwork of the person who said he had no idea how an official NOAA map got changed. Now, that is also a violation of U.S. law to modify or change an official U.S. um, document. And in the Weather Service, it is super important that those documents be relied on. But in all of this Sharpie gate, oh, this, that, you know, what I really missed was the president's sincere concern for the people of Bermuda. <clears throat> His call to the Bermudan government in Nashua or to Boris Johnson at Downing Street to officially offer the British all possible USA help for the people of Bermuda, the oldest self-governing British overseas territory. But never mind, never mind, Acting Secretary of Homeland Security, McAleenan, the man who never wanted the job he has, uh, along with Secretary of Defense Esper and Secretary of State Pompey, did jump into action as soon as the first pictures of the devastation in Bermuda began to emerge. Um, Rotary wing aircraft, as I said, brought water and supplies and ferried out the most seriously injured. The U.S. Air Force got in and helped to get runways up and running so that they could bring in larger aircraft 
um, to bring in more supplies and to ferry more people out of Freeport and the northern environs. And USAID has set up food distribution and food kitchens so that we can see, we can see in this response to our neighbor in Bermuda, that some of the lessons that we learned from Puerto Rico about triage in these situations, we, we can see some of those lessons were learned and have been applied in the Bermuda relief thing. And we should applaud the men and women who serve in the uniform of the Coast Guard, especially for their um, heroic efforts in this situation. But it's not just official Washington that's been stepping in. It's the can-do spirit. It's what makes me so proud to be an American. It's our compassion. Whether it's Team Rubicon on the ground to help with rescue and recovery, and they'll be there to help with the beginning of rebuilding, but there's a lot of recovery yet to go through. Team Rubicon is made up of former military members who've decided in their civilian lives that they need to be always ready to continue to help help their fellow citizens, help those in need wherever they are when that need arises. And we should be extraordinarily proud that we are citizens of a country that has that kind of commitment from its former military members. But even our major cruise lines have gotten in the act. They've been ferrying victims to safety. That one, one empty cruise line went to Freeport and took a whole cruise line of victims back to temporary safety in Florida. Um, The other cruise ships have been taking on additional supplies. They've been docking with water and food and clothing and other supplies that they've picked up in their other ports as they were coming back north. Um, Passengers are donating clothes from outside their suitcases. Remember, they packed for this elegant cruise, and they're giving away their own clothes out of their suitcases to help. And, and a celebrity cruise on its first day out to sea out of Florida last Friday, 3,000 passengers and the whole crew spent that entire first day preparing, packaging, boxing, and delivering 10,000 meals to Bermuda. Hampton University in Virginia is offering a free t- semester Um, of college to any Bermuda students who won't be able to continue their college studies in Freeport. Freeport. And tens of thousands of Americans picked up their phones to text 90999 and donate $10 to hurricane relief that goes to Georgia, Florida, uh, the, the Carolinas, and Bermuda. All of that individual effort, despite the president's reluctance um, to, you know, direct that, that effort, um, prove how well placed my faith in the American people is. We are a compassionate people. We will give somebody the clothes off our backs. When the going gets rough, when all the trappings of wealth, class, education, status, and race vanish in an effort to save lives and reduce suffering, Americans are at their best. And we see that also in Emerald Isle, North Carolina, where neighbors risked their own lives to help others when tornadoes spawned by the hurricane turned mobile homes upside down. In the midst of all of this, the president was looking for someone to take the blame for the black Sharpie that put Alabama in the cone of uncertainty. 
saving his few words and couple of gestures of sympathy for his planned quick trip to North Carolina this week. What if instead he had set up a presidential task force to simplify the regulations that sometime prevent FEMA funds from reaching victims not for weeks, but for months or years. The damage in the Carolinas was compounded by that complicated FEMA process that meant that much of, of the devastation from last year had not yet been repaired. So Jonah Goldberg, more eloquent than I, dealt on the parable of the black Sharpie. I'm a techie. We don't mince words. The president's behavior was selfish, and the public display of his selfishness was, for a guy running for re-election, dumb. And we'll be back with a few closing thoughts. You're listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org, reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back with a few closing thoughts about the jobs number this week. 130,000 jobs is less than what analysts had predicted. But you know what? For an economy that's at full, full employment, an unemployment rate of only about 3.6%, it's not a bad jobs number. It's not the 250,000, but in the 10th year of an expansion and amid a trade war with China and uncertainty over the future of NAFTA II, better known as UCMCA, and an uncertain Christmas buying season because of that trade war, that 130,000 is a very respectable number. It was followed quite quickly by a statement from Fed Chairman Powell reminding the European Union that the Federal Reserve does not expect a recession in the United States in 2020. So what I'm going to ask of you is you and I, as consumers, as and this is an 80% consumption economy, we cannot let our elected officials on both sides of the aisle try to pad their voter chests by stoking fears of recession. Only by stoking fears of recession can they make it become a self-fulfilling prophecy. The American economy is doing just fine. If you want to learn more about some of the topics that we've covered today or listen to a podcast of this program, go to ricochet.com to hear the podcast or reimagineamerica.org for more content. I know what interests me, but what's more important to me is what interests you. So if you've got questions or topics you would like to get answered on the air, send me an email at joyce at reimagineamerica.org. Or you can find me on Twitter at Joyce Cordy, all small letters, one word, or reimagine-america on Facebook. Reimagine is independent and nonprofit. If you appreciate our independent, results-oriented, post-political voice, please consider making a small donation at reimagineamerica.org. And on that note, thank you for your time and attention. Think about the president's usurpation of constitutional power and the separation of powers. And we'll talk again next week. 
subscribe to the Reimagine America podcast at reimagineamerica.org and ricochet.com. Email Joyce at Joyce at Reimagine America Radio. Follow her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy, all one word, and you can follow the show at Reimagine Radio. This has been Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Take a minute now and go to www.reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum, donate, tell others, and sign up to receive future podcasts. That's reimagineamerica.org. And join us again next week for Reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.